And here we are in Acts chapter 26. Paul, for the rest of the story of Acts, is in prison. He's been going around starting churches, sharing the gospel, looking for ways to leverage what he's been given to share this good news of Jesus to the people around him. And a movement begins, a movement so great, as we'll talk about for the next couple of weeks, that we're still a part of it centuries later, decades away from even small movements within the movement, and even the other side of the planet away from where it started, such that we are still a part of a movement in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, of all places. A movement that began here in the book of Acts. A movement that was met with a great deal of momentum and excitement, but also a movement that was met with a great deal of opposition. So much so that from here on out, the opposition plays itself out in Paul being falsely accused, Paul being thrown in prison. So we'll begin in chapter 25, kind of get some context from the end of chapter 25, beginning in verse 23, and we'll read all the way through chapter 26. So here we are in chapter 25, verse 23. So on the next day, Agrippa, the king, and Bernice came with great pomp, and they entered the audience hall with the military tribunes and the prominent men of the city. Then at the command of Festus, that is the tribune, Paul was brought in. And Festus said, King Agrippa and all who are present with us, You see this man about whom the whole Jewish people have petitioned me, both in Jerusalem and here, shouting that he ought not to live any longer. But I found that he had done nothing deserving death. And as he himself appealed to the emperor, I decided to go ahead and send him. But I have nothing definite to write to my lord, that is the emperor, about him. Therefore I have brought him before you all. And especially before you, King Agrippa, so that after we have examined him, I may have something to write. For it seems to me unreasonable in sending a prisoner not to indicate the charges against him. So Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. So then Paul stretched out his hand and made his defense. I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa, that I am going to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews, especially because you are familiar with all the customs and controversies of the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. My manner of life from my youth spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem is known by all of the Jews. They have known for a long time, if they are willing to testify, that according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. And now I stand here on trial because of my hope and the promise made by God to our fathers, to which our twelve tribes hope to attain, as they earnestly worship day and night. And for this hope I am accused by Jews, O King. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. 
and this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. At midday, O king, I saw on the, on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when, he, and when we excuse me, had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you. Delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. To this day, I have had the help that comes from God. And so I stand here testifying both to small and to great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses would come, said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. And as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. But Paul said, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I am speaking true and rational words. For the king knows about these things. And to him I speak boldly. For I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice. For this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me in this day might become such as I am. Except, of course, for these chains. Then the king arose, and the governor and Bernice, and those who were sitting with them, and when they had withdrawn, they said to one another, this man is doing nothing deserving to deserve death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. What I see here is one of the last important eyewitness accounts that Paul gives, one of the last defenses he gives before he makes it all the way to Rome. And hopefully, I think there's an example that we might follow. In fact, I think there's an amazing thing going on here. That God is doing something powerful. God is doing something 
uh, amazing. God is doing something incredible, and He's doing it through the words of His people. He's doing it through the words of the Apostle Paul, namely his eyewitness experience. And so here's what I think we find. According to Jesus' own plan, plan A, according to Jesus' own plan, his followers will experience circumstances of protection and persecution for his name's sake. And each and every instance is actually an opportunity to bear witness to the hope that we now have in him. I think what we see here by Paul's example, by this story, and for us, that according to Jesus' own plan, his followers will experience circumstances of protection and persecution for his name's sake. And every time they experience either protection or persecution, each instance is actually an opportunity to bear witness to the hope that we now have in him. I want, if you, if you will, uh, I want you to join me for just a moment, in Luke chapter 21. You can either just let me read it to you or I, can, or I can read it to you, but there's this beautiful and amazing picture as Jesus Himself is sharing to Luke and Luke remembers and counts in His Gospel according to Luke, the precursor, the preamble to the Acts of the Apostles that we've been diving into. He shares a prophecy of the future in Luke chapter 21, beginning in verse 12, but for the day that's coming, Jesus says to His disciples so that they would never wonder about the future. He says, before all of these things will come to pass and My kingdom will come, before all of this, they will lay their hands on you and they will persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons. And you will be brought before kings and governors for My name's sake. Verse 13 this will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it therefore in your minds not to meditate beforehand how to answer, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and some of you they will even put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair of your head will will ultimately perish by your endurance you will gain your lives luke remembers in chapter 21 of the gospel of luke an account in which jesus predicts the future and he says very clear that one day people are going to lay their hands on you and they are going to persecute you remember there's a difference in the last couple of weeks we've talked about this between being persecuted and having your feelings hurt this isn't jesus saying hey people aren't going to like you he's saying they're going to put their hands on you harm you try to kill you and persecute you they will deliver you up in the synagogues to accuse you there and they will deliver you to prisons and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake And what we find here in Acts chapter 26 is the fulfillment of Jesus' own words. That according to His own plan, lest we think that being in prison or in unforeseen negative circumstances is utterly bad, according to Jesus' own plan, His followers are going to experience the circumstances sometimes where they're protected and sometimes where they're persecuted. They'll be in places where they're greatly welcomed and received and there are places where we will greatly be rejected and even persecuted for His name's sake. And every single instance is meant to be a reminder like Luke chapter 21, verse 13 tells us that we in those moments are to find an opportunity to bear witness. 
So here's what I think. As a result of what we see here, you have been sent to this place with the purpose of opening the eyes of those around you to the good news that Christ has actually secured for us forgiveness before God and a place in His family. You have been sent to this place with a purpose. Because the first things we can ask here is, how on earth did we get here? How did Paul end up before Agrippa? In this chapter, we see Paul's defense to a king. And when God's servant is given a chance to speak for himself, that is Paul, then it is well if he may speak to Christ instead, nor need he be ashamed of the gospel of Christ in any company. Because whether they respond with scorn or contempt, it is certain that God will in some way use that testimony for His glory. There's this beautiful picture of even in the midst of lest we use too many euphemisms and too many allegories and too many metaphors, literally in the midst of trial, we find an opportunity to testify to the goodness of God. And Paul's defense is explicitly made, as he says, against the accusations of the Jews. Now that's interesting because that's the context we've had in the last few months. Jews, as he mentioned here, that have wanted to kill him because they would not stop talking about Jesus. That Jesus is alive and that Jesus is doing things. And those accusers did not actually seem to be present in this occasion. There weren't any Jews or chief priests or, or Old Testament form elders here. Paul still makes his defense, he says, against the accusations of the Jews. But notice that his defense takes the form of an autobiography. We've seen this over the last couple of weeks even, that the most beautiful thing, the most powerful thing that God has given to you and to me is our story. And for those of you who would call yourselves Christians, for those of you who are following Jesus, who would find your identity in Christ, this is an amazingly humbling and empowering thing that God's most powerful gift to you is your story. It's kind of this picture of, it's like it's not what you know, but it's who you know. And every opportunity we've been given in this life is actually an, an opportunity to share our story. And Paul could have appealed, as we saw a few weeks ago, to apologetics. He could have appealed to, to some sort of uh, the historicity of his claims. He could have, I don't know, he could have uh, appealed, uh, even we in this moment could have appealed the same thing to like, I don't like archaeology. There's, there's all sorts of ways that he could have validated his innocence and validated his claims that Jesus is alive and all sorts of ways he could have done it. And what does he resort to, Christian? He resorts to his testimony. Don't miss that. That amidst trial, his defense is simply telling his story of where God has brought him. I say that because some of you maybe think that your story is no good. That may be true, but ultimately, if the story is about Jesus, then that story is too good to keep a secret. And you have been given a story to tell. And it's amazing. It's not my story. It's not the same as the people around you. And it's not meant to be. And that's because when you get the opportunity to speak just like Paul, your story will resonate deeply with your audience. At the same time, as we see throughout the book of Acts, Paul makes it clear that he is on trial because of the Jewish hope of the resurrection and its fulfillment in Jesus Christ. People want to kill him because they say that Jesus is alive. His direct address ultimately here, though, is to King Agrippa. And even though he's making a personal defense, notice that he has aimed this defense 
to personally appeal to the king. Paul's appeal is directly to the king. And he asks him specifically to listen patiently on the basis of his knowledge of Judaism. Especially so because he, more than anyone else, was well acquainted, apparently, with Jewish customs and controversies. But this speech turns out not to be just a defense of his innocence, but in, somewhat, in some way, in innocence, explaining to everybody who could hear that he had encountered the risen Christ and he wanted others to encounter him as well. Remember the words that Luke reminds us in Luke chapter 21 and verse 13. You'll be handed over, you'll be brought before kings, and this will be your opportunity to bear witness. So let me unpack that here. As I share with you a few weeks ago, every time we get to read one of Paul's eyewitness testimonies or his defense, you're guaranteed this morning to have heard a good sermon. Reason being, we just read one of Paul's, right? You're guaranteed to walk away getting a good sermon because we just read a really good one from Paul. So I just want to break down what he said, hopefully mimic what he says, and find some encouragement in this. And the encouragement, I think, in Luke chapter 1 can also be seen here. This will be a time for your testimony. God intends even the bad things that might happen to you, even the bad things that you might have brought upon yourself, whether it's persecution, imprisonment, or simply the consequences of bad decisions to be a strategic opportunity to witness to the truth of the gospel. So here we go. So if you're in this room, maybe you wouldn't call yourself a Christian. Maybe you wouldn't say, I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm fully identified with this Jesus. Man, I'm glad you're here. Um, I want you to hear, and maybe you can kind of test us on this. You'll get kind of a, a bystander's perspective on what it is that Christians really believe. And why it is that Christians can't be quiet about it. Why it is that we insist on always talking about Jesus and as a regular occurrence, we get together and we open the Bible and we talk about Jesus. We get together in people's homes and we talk about Jesus. We Even before we eat, we say something in Jesus' name. And this Jesus always comes up because this is something that God has built into the system. And God means for all of those opportunities to be strategic moments for the witness of the truth of the gospel. Such that we are left wondering if any of this is a coincidence, if there really is an accident, or if God has been doing the whole thing. So let's start with, uh, let's start with Paul's words here. One of the first things I think I see here, other than the fact that, I don't know if you, began, uh, you saw where he began, uh, he said he began his speech in the typical way that the Romans would have done. He stretched out his hand to make his defense. I just want to put that as a side note. This uh, talking with your hands is in the Bible, all right? Even, apparently, it's the first part of the defense of the gospel. This is important for me because I believe if you chopped off my hands, I could no longer speak. So for you that are like me and you even talk with your hands when you're on the phone, just, just tell your friends, calm down, it's in the Bible, Acts chapter 26, right? There's a Bacon chapter, this is the talking with your hands chapter. Paul begins to make a defense and he wants, Luke wants us to see that he was very animated in the way that he did it. Right, there's something about the way that Paul did it that was very animated. And it was meant to call attention to the fact that he was doing something formal. He was going to make a defense. He was going to take the posture of an orator. But then he says, I consider myself fortunate. He says good things about the king. I'm so fortunate that I could make my defense here today, especially because you, King Agrippa, are familiar and he tells us the story of how he used to persecute the way of the followers of Jesus. But now, having seen Jesus alive, 
he's turned the other way and he's come to see that Jesus is actually the fulfillment of what he used to believe in his Jewish tradition. That God, the Creator, and the God of his fathers had actually brought a fulfillment to his promise through Jesus. That we would know that there are no coincidences even when Jesus was crucified, it wasn't something that shocked the Father. It wasn't something that caught him off guard. But it was simply one more thing that God means to use for the salvation of his people. He was convinced, Paul says, that he ought to oppose everything that the Christians were saying. But instead, Jesus had other plans. And in his rage, in his fury, I hope you caught that. He said, he said some personal anecdotal things here. Did you catch that? He was a very angry person in his rage. He was a blasphemer. He was a person who went to great lengths to punish others. He was very self-assured. For those of you who find yourself dealing with anger, there's good news. This is not where the story ends, but it's just the beginning of where God starts to do something awesome in Paul's life. So for people like me, maybe you have a problem with anger, this is a good thing. But how did he get here? How did he make his way now telling this story before King Agrippa? There's got to be something bigger going on here. This would be like, this would like if, if Governor Dennis, Dug Dennis Dugard like, called one of us this week and was like, hey, I want you to come tell me about what you believe. Why would, why would a person in power do such a thing? Why would that happen? And it begs the same question here. How did he even get there? How did Paul even get to this place? And I would argue the same thing I shared with and I opened to you, that it is in fact part of God's plan. That according to Jesus' own plan, His followers will experience sometimes acceptance, sometimes persecution. But like Luke 21.13 says, that this will be a time. And so that you will know that this is a time to bear testimony, I will fulfill my promise to you and I will drag you even before kings to tell this story. Why is that important? Well, you tell me, what would you do in the presence of someone of great power, great authority, even, mind you, power and authority to put you to death? What's your response when you're around famous people? What do you do when you're around very important people? What's your first instinct? What's the first thing you think about? What's the first thing that you want to do? How, what's your response in the face of someone highly influential? And when you begin to answer that question, I think you begin to see the magnitude of what it is that Paul has been given here by way of an opportunity in front of the king Agrippa, but also how he responds to that opportunity. And I, I just I want to be honest with you. I, I, wanna, I want to, to lay it out. This is a place where I have to repent. This is a place where um, I have to even repent to you. Okay, so... Um, I don't know any famous people. I don't know if you do. But I, I want to illustrate what not to do here. Okay? I don't want Jonathan to be the hero of this story. I want this to be actually the end of it. So I don't know if you're uh, aware. I don't know what's famous to you. I have a weird sense of famous. And my wife and I always ask these questions when we're out on a date. Uh, like the, the, and they're supposed to be you know, like these questions that help you kind of know each other and fall in love. And one of them is like, hey, if you could sit down and eat with anyone that you, that you could possibly sit down and eat with, dead or alive, who would it be? And our answer is always like someone interesting. It's not necessarily someone famous, but it's more like somebody I just want to hang out with and just kind of live next to. My favorite, like, like Jimmy Fallon or some list of like, I don't know, comedians. Because I just want to laugh. But one at the top of my list, okay, the top of my list, um, I, I, this, this, is, this, is, this is pretty crazy, right? Um, 
So the top of my list, sorry, I'm disconnected. I'm going to show you this picture uh, by, by crook, by, by hook or by crook. You're going to see this picture with technical difficulty notwithstanding. So while I'm trying to do this, one of my favorite TV shows is a, is a show by the name of American Pickers. Anyone familiar with this? It's a really silly show that people who are hoarders like myself really enjoy. Um, it's a really, it's a dumb show, and here we go. You're going to love it, all right? So is everyone kind of familiar with American Pickers? You're going to get the payoff. I know, that's silly. Here we go. Boom. Here it comes. Here it comes. You're going to get the payoff. Boom. There it is. All right, so I don't know famous people. I don't know if you know famous people. I don't see them anywhere. But recently I was a part, uh, we were flown down to be a part of a conference in Nashville and in the airport on the way back. After, just on Monday that week, I went to American Pickers. This guy's name is Mike Wolf, and he's got a showroom in Nashville. So, of course, I'm in Nashville. I'm going to go see this place, right? I'm walking. I mean, I don't know what's famous to you. Like, some of you want to see sports figures, political figures. This guy is, this is my guy. This is the guy I want to sit down and have dinner with. And in the airport, I'm just hanging out there, and who walks up? Who walks up in the terminal? Mike Wolf. Not only that, I'm like, who are you going? I was like, dude, I love you. I mean, I just, I, I went stupid, right? And I was like, hey, it's good to see you. Um, I, man, I, I love your show. I went to your showroom. And we just started talking about his showroom and how the new remodeling he's doing. And, and it seemed like no one around us really knew who this guy was. And I was just like, this is really great. So good to meet you. Awesome. Where are you going? He's like, South Dakota. I'm going to Sturgis. And I was like, me too. I mean, it was like, it was just, this, this was me being a groupie. I, I, I began to understand it. And my first response was probably similar, like the modern day autograph is the selfie, am I right? I don't take selfies on a regular basis, but overwhelmed with giddiness because I was in, I don't know, the presence of greatness, I decided to break a rule and I just said, hey, Mike, I love you, I love your show, my wife and I like to watch this and she would love more than anything probably to really share this moment, can I take this picture with you and send this to my wife? Like I'm not going to tweet it, blow it up on Facebook or anything, I'm just going to send it to my wife. I didn't tell him I was going to share it with you as well, but oh well. And, and here's, here's, here's what I want you to see in this moment. Like, I, I, this, is, this is my cheesy smile. I don't know if you know this one. This is, I don't actually smile that way. This is what happens apparently when I'm around people that I admire a great deal. And I, I show you this picture. I show you this picture. Because I need to repent in front of you. I show you this picture with a great deal at one point of elation, but now with a heavy heart. And of that, I need to, in front of you, repent. And I need to confess. It did not even cross my mind. It did not even cross my mind to testify to the good news of Jesus to this man. It didn't even cross my mind. I met him. And this is, I mean, you would agree, this is like pseudo-famous, Right? This is like, what is it, History Channel, TLC? I mean, that's like ugh, cable TV famous, right? It's not really famous. And in the moment that I got to spend with him, the few moments, I don't know what I could have done. I don't know that he would have been even receptive to anything other than that. But in that moment, I want to confess to you, I did not even think about an opportunity to share the gospel. I didn't even think about it. And it wasn't until I made my way to chapter 26 that I began to see what that really means. Because here Paul was in the presence of a king. And he wasn't starstruck. He wasn't impressed. Instead, he simply knew how good 
his king was. And in the moment that he was in the presence of fame, he took a brief moment to thank Agrippa for being his audience and then immediately jumped into telling a famous person about someone who's even more famous and now is live, is King Jesus. Our first response is what? Get an autograph? And even if you can have a conversation with them, I mean, what do you do with famous, influential people? You kind of try to benefit from them, right? Maybe talk to them about what's important to you and get them to kind of see your side. Or, or even at the very least, you try to benefit from it by, I don't know, bragging about it later. For me, it was bragging about it to my wife. Picture. Picture the most famous person you can think of. Picture them. Picture the most influential person in your imagination. Picture them. Who's the most famous, like the most important per- person? Maybe the better way is the most recognizable person you can think of. Now picture you have a chance to speak with them. What's your first response? For Paul, he saw the king, and all he could think about was how great his God was. And when he saw King Agrippa, all he could think about was that he had seen Jesus first. And in the midst of the fame and importance of King Agrippa, including the influence that could at any moment sentence Paul to death, instead of seeing his greatness and and the gravity of the situation for his own life, he saw the greatness of Jesus. And he was swept up in a moment where he saw Jesus alive, where at midday he was walking along so that Luke would make sure that we know that it wasn't just a blinding light because it was dark and, and all of a sudden the light shone out, but at midday when the sun was as bright as it possibly could be, Jesus appeared to him in such a bright and fantastic way that he was blinded by it. If you saw LeBron James, what would you tell him? If you saw President Obama, what would you tell him? If, if you saw Governor Dugard, what would you tell him? Well, if you saw your favorite TV star, what would you, if, you, if you saw your favorite pop star, your favorite musician, your favorite artist, if you saw that person, what would you tell them? Because I want to be like Paul. I want to be ready in season and out of season to testify, and I want to see the kingdom of God at work around me more than I see the earthly kingdom around me. And I want to have such an awareness like Paul of the greatness of God and the encounter with Jesus that by His mercy is given to me that the greatness of the Gospel is more impressive than the fame of that person. I don't know what that looks like for you, but if LeBron James knew how great the one who saved me is and sent me is, then LeBron would want my autograph. Do you get this kingdom turning the world upside down? And you get the magnitude of this situation? Even though he'd been thrown in under the bus, falsely accused, we see that even according to Jesus' own plan, his followers are going to experience circumstances of protection and persecution for his name's sake. And each and every instance, Luke 21, verse 13 reminds us, is actually an opportunity to bear witness to the hope that we now have in him. Such that now we look at this story not as a set of coincidences in which Paul found himself haphazardly in the presence of royalty, but instead we see it as an actual plan that God has ordained for his followers to testify, even to kings, even to governors, even in prison, of his goodness.
What about you? What I get from this, and that's why I want to repent of this, is that if someone famous was here, I would probably find a way for it to benefit me, or like you saw, I would take a, I would take a selfie. But oh, I want to be like Paul. That I would have an understanding of the magnitude of the message that I carry. So here's what I think this means for us. If God can send Paul strategically into a situation where he could testify to King Agrippa, how much more so should we begin to be aware of the ways in which our sovereign God has ordered our steps and arranged the circumstances in our lives to give you and me opportunities to testify to the Gospel? Because after all, if the followers of Jesus are going to give oppor- given opportunities to speak to kings and governors, and those are opportunities to bear witness to Jesus, then how much more so are the opportunities that God gives you and me to people who are not kings, people who are not governors, people who are not influential? How much more meaningful are they? Well, look at his sermon that he preaches. He says, look, first and foremost, Jesus says, you're sent, I'm sending you. So that you would know, like, this, this is a thing. This is actually something God does. God didn't save you for your own well-being. God saved you for His glory. And in the same way that He could have very well punished you for His glory. He could have used you as an example to all the people around you of how His wrath and His justice rules over all things. He chose, instead of to do that, to display His glory through saving you. What an amazing and miraculous thing for you and I to share. So much so that when he begins to speak to Paul, he says, don't kick against the goads. Did you catch that? That's a weird euphemism for this particular time. The goads were the spears that were used to goad, literally, oxen as they were pulling a cart or some other heavy thing. And the driver of the oxen would always have a spear that just in case the oxen, who was much stronger and much bigger, was pulling in a way that they shouldn't, they could goad the oxen into going where they wanted them to go. And the oxen could kick all he wanted, but he was in the end tied up to something and he was being speared along. Just think about that picture for just a minute as we think about the Christian life and what you think God saved you for. Apparently, Jesus used the word picture of a submissive oxen wrapped up, tied up, utterly helpless against the forces around them. And that's exactly what Jesus has done for you and for me. The way I would word that when I think about kick against the goads, this is beautiful for me. God has made the Christian life, get this, God has made the Christian life idiot-proof. This is good news for me. This is beautiful. Because I can't mess it up. I can kick against the goads all I want. Like I can rebel against what God has for me, but just be encouraged for a minute. Think of the word picture that God gives here. You can't mess this up. There is a master who is infinitely smarter than you, just like you and I are probably a little bit smarter than an oxen, who sees further down the road, who sees the task at hand, and you can kick against him all you want, but he will use you as an instrument for his glory. And for people like me, that's encouraging. God has made this idiot proof. And being sent is something that isn't optional. He's going to do it whether we like it or not. 
And we are going to get the opportunity, as we see here from verse 17 to 20, to open the eyes of people that do not know this. It's only by His mercy that you and I even can handle talking about Jesus, much less believe upon Him and be saved by Him. But we are going to get the opportunity, just like Paul, to open the people's eyes around us. So here's what I learned from that sermon, that he's kind of painting a picture that Jesus passed on to him. I'm sending you, Jesus says, to open their eyes. They're going to turn from darkness. They're going to turn away from the powers of the world and the powers of Satan to the power of the merciful God. And then they will receive forgiveness and they will receive a place among the people, the sanctified people of faith. This is really good news that you and I have been given to share and Paul says he didn't want to be disobedient. So here's what I think we can learn from this, all right? So just, just think of it this way. If God really is orchestrating something first through his followers to put his people amidst kings and amidst governors for the sake of bearing witness to his resurrection power, then how much more so will he do that for you and for me? And this is what I glean, all right? Look around the room. We are not all the same. We've got a lot of things in common, but we have a lot more things that we don't have in common. And that is a good thing. Because if you were to create a strategy of infiltrating that city right out there with this good news of Jesus, the best way to do it wouldn't be to get, I don't know, people who stand out and look, I don't know, really really remarkably different from the rest of the city. If you really wanted to have an infiltration, if you want to have a movement of insurgents in this city for the sake of the gospel, you would make them blend in with everyone else, wouldn't you? You'd put some of them in the finance industry. You'd put some of them in education. Because after all, if you want to influence the next generation, you want to influence a culture, you influence the hearts of the people who are developing, right? And if you wanted to influence people, I don't know, in need, you, you, would, you would tactically, strategically infiltrate places like medical industries. You would tactically infiltrate Service industries full of blue-collar, white-collar people. And when I look around this room, that's exactly what I see. It's exactly what I see. And is it possible that Jesus, in his plan, has put you and I strategically in a place to bear witness? Maybe you know kings and governors. Maybe that's your lot. Okay, good for you. I want to equip you and encourage you. Don't, don't get starstruck. Don't use that fame for your, own, for your own benefit, for your own kingdom, but use it as a witness. I, will, I probably won't be that guy, right? I know some of our city councilmen, right? I know, I know roughly, I know maybe a couple of state and, and, and United States senators in South Dakota, but not really. I don't know if they're on your speed dial, but not on mine, right? So, so that may not be my lot, but here's what I do know. That God has uniquely placed you and me in the places that we live for the sake of bearing witness. So here's what this means. All right, some of you who are like uh, organic people, real heavily organic people, you know, you thought that was for your comfort and for your, for, your, for your goodness. God has made you that way so that you could bear witness to people who make their own granola about how good Jesus is. Some of you, some of you are, are number, crunching, number crunching guys, right? You're, you're counters, right? Or you see the world in numbers, you're in finance or whatever, right? That's how you see things. You think that's for your own good, for your own glory. It's not. God has wired you that way so that you could bear witness to other people who see the world like you. Right? Some of you like Star Wars and Lord of the Rings. and I mean, those are great, cool. I'm a Matrix guy personally, but like, he has made you especially nerdy. Don't, don't, ra- don't rage against it. 
He has made you especially nerdy so that you would have a unique opportunity to bear witness to those other people who will never be get married. I said, that, was, that was a low blow, wasn't it? That was, that was terrible, wasn't it? God has wired you this way. Don't rage against it. Embrace it. God, is, God has made you this way so that you will appeal to people that I won't. I won't. But you will. And he hasn't given it to me. He's given it to you. And there are people... Again, they dress up like stormtroopers, and you do too, and you're going to get a chance to share the gospel with them, and I won't. And here's what's fun about that. That isn't a mistake. It isn't a mistake. Some of you, your teachers, God has wired you to, 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 to do this, and God has set you in a place, not for your own good, but, but ultimately so that you could bear witness to him. Some of you, your artists, some of your administrators, your, all of these things, you speak a different language. And all of these things, I would argue, God has created in you for a purpose. So that you, in those moments, like verse 13 of Luke chapter 21, would bear witness. So I don't know what your plan A is. But if somewhere between point A and point B, you feel like you might have gone in a detour and you might be surrounded by people that you don't want to be around or God has put you in a place you're particularly uncomfortable, would you stop for just a minute? Would you stop for just a minute and reflect on the possibility that God has actually ordained that moment for your good, for his glory, and so that people around you might open their eyes out of a life of darkness and be transferred to the kingdom of this beloved son, Jesus? Is it possible that even in these moments that you're in this room, God has ordained your steps so that you would hear the words come out of my mouth that you, friend, are chosen. Did you get to the end of that sermon? What was it that he gets to, gets to tell people? He says you get the opportunity to tell people that Jesus forgives and that not only does he forgive, but he has given us a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Friend, maybe God brought you in this, mo- in this moment, in this place here. Maybe you're a believer, maybe you're not. Maybe you have doubts, maybe, maybe, maybe you don't. Maybe God brought you here just to hear me say that God has done something for you to win you back to himself and to give you an identity and purpose that will last forever and ever and to give you a community of people, people that will love you, People, not that they're perfect, but they're being made holy, not by their own effort, but by what Jesus has done. Is it possible that even the moments that we're experiencing right now are sovereignly being held together by a God of the universe who loves you and desires desperately to draw you to him? So much so that he would rather die in your place than to leave you there alone. Is it possible? Let's pray. God, we thank you so much uh, that you are good and you are merciful. We thank you so much that you give life, that you look upon our wretched estate and you have desired deeply instead of to throw us away and discard us, but to make us your treasure. You have desired to, to draw us into yourself, to draw us closer to yourself, so that going forward, we would never wonder if God is real or up there or out there, but we would have tangible evidence, even things like this morning, hearing this good news, things like the opportunities we've been given, even the ways that you've wired us so uniquely. 
Ways that you've scripted this out strategically so that people who are now in darkness might hear this good news that there is light, that we don't have to live in darkness, but there is light, and this Son, Jesus Christ, has gotten it for us freely. God, we confess that we have doubts about this. We confess that this just is hard to believe. Um, I can even confess my own, my own regret and resentment. This isn't how I planned things to go. This isn't how I scripted my life to go. And God, we just confess, there's probably none of us who, who, who years ago said, on this particular day in September, we're going to get together in elementary school in the east side of Sioux Falls. We confess we did not see that. We did not have the foresight and the foreknowledge to see that. But God, we thank you that you did. And we would, would we now begin to see these things as fruit of your goodness? Would we see them not as coincidences, but would we see them as a divine plan that you mean to achieve for us to draw us closer to yourself? So if there's some of us, we're running against this. We're just fighting. We, we have doubts. We have questions. And we're fighting against this. Would Right now, would you warn us? Stop kicking against the goads. You're not going to give up on us. You're not going to quit. You're not going to stop drawing us to yourself. You're not going to stop forgiving us. You're not going to stop making us right. But instead, you're going to keep drawing us toward yourself. We thank you that you don't give up on us, but maybe there's some of us, we've heard this, but we've just simply doubted that this is real. Would you show us this week tangibly and specifically ways in which you have strategically placed us, our families, you have strategically wired our personalities and our interests for the sake of opportunities to testify to your goodness. Help us to open our eyes to these things and see them for your glory, for your name's sake. Because we know that even though we'll have opportunities, we'll have in our life we'll have places where we experience persecution and sometimes we'll achieve acceptance. We know that ultimately you are doing these things to give us an opportunity to testify to your grace. We want to testify to that grace now as we respond in singing in Jesus' name. Amen.